Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com. Previously, on Lakeshore. On the day of the Lakeshore exhibition, Susan sends Nancy to her brother's radio station and asks the wolves to start smashing every LS-1000 radio they can. Sneaking into the fairground, the gang quickly gets separated as Knox tracks down Rex, Kitty and Susan start destroying speakers, and Philip gets spotted by the authorities and flees. Eventually, after some light arson, Susan, Roman, and Hazel make their way into Lennox Spire and arrive at the observation deck, only to come face to face with a horrifying bird-like archdemon. Meanwhile, Knox and Kitty break into Rex's compound at the exhibition, fighting through his guards and eventually incapacitating Rex with a curse from Kitty. At 12 noon, Knox murders Rex, Roman slays the archdemon, and the mayor begins her address, rendering all of the magic of Lakeshore hers to control. Hi, I'm Jory. I play Kitty the Oracle, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Eli. I play Roman the Fae, and it's good to be here. Hi, hi, I'm Jordan, and uh, I am no longer Knox the Tainted. I am only Knox the regular human man. And it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Jillian. I play Susan the Hunter. It's the finale. Oh my god, it is so good to be here. I'm Jesse. I'm the MC, and I'm here to solve the mystery of where in this city I can get a low-fat vegan yogurt that doesn't skimp on flavor. Welcome to Many Realms. noon on the day of the Lakeshore Exhibition, as Mayor Graham begins to speak, a few things happen. In Lakeshore's beachfront neighborhood, Lucia Jimenez screams as huge furry monsters, the size of small bears maybe, but not resembling bears, tear apart her living room, smashing everything in sight before charging out the door. She watches them sprint across the street to the house opposite, and with shaky fingers attempts to dial the number for the police on her telephone, when suddenly, the sky outside crackles with white light, like lightning or fireworks, but bright enough to be seen in the middle of a sunny day. Lucia staggers backward from the window and could swear she hears the howls of wolves outside. In the bar room of the last hurrah, Charlie Pendergast gasps as she feels an incredible rush of magical energy surge through the building. Her phantom patrons, whose presence in the bar is permitted by mysterious covenants made by the faction of power, one by one begin to fade from the room. The lights die, and Charlie floats alone, behind a darkened bar, head in her hands. Kitty Yanakis, standing in a room reeking of sulfur and demon blood, helps her friend Knox to his feet after his mortal soul has been restored to him. For months, she has seen visions of his future and felt compelled to help him on his journey, and finally seeing him reclaim his humanity after so much danger and hardship is almost more emotion than she can bear. 
What is more than she can bear is the icy sensation that numbs her limbs as soon as the distant reverberations of the mayor's speech flood into her ears. She only manages a startled, slurred knox before she plummets to the floor. Up in the glass-walled observation deck of Lennox Spire, Roman helps her friend Hazel up after defeating a massive bird-like demon. The two make to follow Susan into the door through which she disappeared when the broadcast starts, and Roman, too, feels overcome by a frigid cold that turns her limbs to lead and her mind to mush. Hazel catches her as she falls, brings her down to the floor gently, and calls her name with increasing concern. Susan, you find yourself in a cramped and dimly lit service corridor, with doors inside leading to service stairwells and storage rooms. At 12 noon, as the mayor's speech echoes over the tower's PA system, you see a blinding burst of radiant white light from the window of a door at the end of the hall. What do you do? Well, can I open the door? Yeah. Sorry. Can then... I open the door back to where uh, I escaped from the demon? Sure. You can turn and run away, you, you oh coward. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> That's that's valid. You're valid. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Susan, you turn away, shielding your eyes from the surge of blinding white light and fumble backwards, reaching for the handle of the doorknob. In the room beyond, you see Roman collapsed on the ground, uh, cradled in Hazel's arms in front of the corpse of the bird demon that you left them to finish off while you surged ahead. Hazel looks up at you, mouth agog. She doesn't know what to say and gestures helplessly to Roman, who is writhing and mumbling on the floor. Yeah, I think maybe uh, like I'm vaguely aware that Susan has come back and I try to say something snarky, but it comes out like, Whoa. <coughs> uh, that's awful and terrible. Um, we've got to go investigate. Hazel, can you carry her? Hazel sets her expression and uh, takes a second to wipe tears out of her eyes. She probably can't carry Roman, but she can definitely do at least like a underarm carry. Hazel looks at you and she says, I, I don't know, can we just find somewhere safe to set her down? I don't think anything's going to be safe unless we stop whatever's happening. I mean, at least out of view. Yes. As you head back into the corridor, Susan, you, with an elbow, smash open a custodian's closet in the hallway. Hazel awkwardly drags Roman in and gently sets her head on a wadded up mop. Uh, Better than like a floor with broken glass. Uh, Susan just takes like the deepest sigh and says, all right, let's go. You head down the hallway. At the end of the hallway, the white light coming from the small room has faded. And as you approach, you hear a click, and the door swings open. Out of the room steps Mayor Evelyn Graham. Gun is immediately pointed at her. Mm-hmm. But first, let me tell you what she's wearing. She's wearing her kind of um, standard branded, you know, tailored skirt suit. Um, her hair is neatly pinned back. And her eyes no longer... Um, <laughs> well... <laughs> Mayor Evelyn Graham's eyes have been replaced again with just pulsing orbs of white light that kind of uh, emptily scan the hallway in front of her. And when they alight on you, Susan Starling, she smiles softly and she says, Good afternoon, Susan. What the fuck have you done? 
I was hoping you would be here before too long. I suppose you have a lot of questions. Yeah, can you stop whatever this is now? Why don't we go upstairs and talk? What's upstairs? Nice chairs, a better view. This is no place to hold a dignified conversation. Will we be alone? Yes. All right. Move quickly. She, with a wave of her hand, blasts open one of the doorways in the corridor. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. (laughs) And it opens into a stairwell that leads up. She leads the two of you upstairs into a room almost virtually at the top of Lennox Spire. When you step inside this room, Susan, you gasp and you hear Hazel swear behind you. The walls and ceiling of this room have been completely crystallized, forming a massive geode-like structure that you find yourself in the middle of. As you cast your eye across it, you can see flickers of the same white light spark and spread from crystal to crystal as the mayor's amplified power is channeled through this chamber at the top of the tower. Bad. Not great. The mayor gestures to a table and a few chairs and she uh, sits down in front of you. I think I perch on like the edge of the chair. I understand that you might be uncomfortable, but I want you to know that I don't mean you any harm, Susan. Well, I think you've already done quite enough harm to others. Certainly, I suppose the situation could be seen that way, but... I just I just left my friend writhing on the floor from whatever you just did, sir. I don't think you get to talk about not doing harm here. My intelligence suggests that you moved to Lakeshore sometime within the past decade, between 8 and 12 years ago. Great. You did your homework. May I ask what brought you to our fair city? Oh, you know, just escaping the grief of long-standing demon terror. I wondered if it might be something like that. I have to admit what I've heard that you've done since you came here that makes me think that we actually have a lot in common, Susan. Oh, do we now? I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. I hope you'll do me the honor of at least listening. Oh, entertain me. I went to school to study engineering about 35 years ago. I was a really promising student. I excited all my professors. I was uh, could not be kept out of the lab day and night so much that I enjoy working on my projects. And about halfway through my studies, I discovered the existence of magic and creatures outside of this realm, and Susan of demons. Like you, I was horrified. I thought that they were a scourge on this city, and I still think so today. I also realized how much power could be offered if one wielded magic correctly, for noble reasons. And so, after I graduated, I began to work in that capacity and develop my own skills in an entirely new branch of really what amounts to a science, in the hopes that I could use it for good. The the eye-rolling is so strong in this moment. Look, I understand that from your perspective, all you've seen of me is, well, mostly what you've seen of what Rex has done, really. And I know he's a... Not the most pleasant man to be around. Frankly, I consider him to be a useful instrument, but 
he has no place in the future of Lakeshore. A future where demons will not run rampant in the streets, where people will not be afraid to leave their homes after dark, where we can create a safe and equitable future for, for our citizens. Oh, so you care so much about equity that you have stolen the magic of others so that you are the only one permitted to use it for quote-unquote good, as you say? You could frame it that way. Then that's not equity. You have skewed the balance. You've taken away the agency of others to do good with their, with their own power. I'm not sure why you're so concerned about the capacity of magic users when it seems they've been a, a steady source of problems for you for the past few years since you've lived here. I mean, this is the same source of magic from whence come the same demons that you've sworn to fight against, Susan. This is the magic of people like Rex Lemaire, who has terrified, attacked, maimed your friends. This is the magic that creates drugs that ruin people's lives and keep them enslaved to addictive substances their whole lives. This is the kind of magic that I don't want falling into the wrong hands. And Susan, I think you know as well as I do that it has fallen into the wrong hands. It has fallen into the hands of many and there is, well, I don't want to say balance because I don't think that's true. Hmm. It has fallen into the hands of many and you could say that there is dark and light, perhaps more dark in this city than we would like to have, but you can't, you can't ignore all, all the good and the light that is present here. And you've just gone and, and robbed everyone of that so that you can be the all powerful mighty being at the top of your fucking tower. Susan, I had hoped that when we spoke today, we'd be able to come to some kind of understanding. I would really much rather have you in my corner. I think you could do a lot of good. You could be one of those people you're talking about who is helping to make Lakeshore a better place. I do make Lakeshore a better place, and that's by hurting monsters. Are you a monster? Indeed, I'm not. I'm the last thing in the world that could be called a monster. Sus. <laughs> I hate this bitch. <sighs> what makes me so special? that you would grant me this offer and not my friend the Fae or my friend the Oracle. Well, the first thing I would say, Susan, is that you were strong enough to make it this far. <laughs> it's not a question of strength. Call it whatever you will. I'm impressed by the work that I've seen you do. You weren't really on my radar until the episode at the Drake Casino. And after that, I scoured to find more information about you and your friends, all of you. I'm quite interested. And Angela, who uh, is blessed with a near photographic memory, was able to give me more information than I could hope for. And I was able to really put together a picture of, I think, what it is you want and what it is you're fighting for. Just because we might have some disagreement about methods doesn't mean that we don't want the same thing. And I don't think that's something that you should throw away so easily. I think it's something you should think through. Demons hurt you or someone you love. I've been hurt by magic too. Yeah, and you've just used your magic to hurt people I care about. Well, you've used your abilities to hurt people I care about. So I suppose we're square. Susan, you can't look at me like a little innocent lamb and tell me you don't have 
a substantial kill count in the city of Lakeshore because I have documentation that proves otherwise, darling. <laughs> I make a habit not to shoot people. And old habits die hard, don't they? This lady is a snake! <laughs> She's working her psychological weaponry on you. <laughs> I don't know. What does Susan think about this? Give in, Susan. No, don't! <laughs> give, give in. Susan's too stubborn. Susan thinks that, like, a monopoly on magic sounds bad. <laughs> because, as, as we've seen, right, in this campaign, is that, you know, there's so many different uh, kinds of magic and uses for magic, and, like, she, she's ex- essentially uh, stripped <laughs> the well-being of, like, any magical creature away for her own personal use, <laughs> which is a uh, peak selfish. And like, that's a selfish person, <laughs> Susan, like coming to that like realization. As much as Susan makes selfish choices, sometimes at the expense of people she cares about, that doesn't like feel good. Like she doesn't want all the power in the world. Like she likes having competent help and support. Right? That's why running the naturalist society was fun. And that's why having allies like Roman and Hazel and Knox and Kitty is something that she's kept up and why she hasn't turned into emo Batman. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I think this is emo uh, police commissioner asking you to become fully emo Batman in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's how Susan feels. She doesn't like the Monopoly. Um, and this, this is not the solution. Okay. The mayor stands up from her chair and she smooths her skirt. She looks at you with, I think, honest disappointment. She says, I really don't want this conversation to take on a negative tone, but I have to ask you what you intend to do up here, Susan. I have control of the magic of Lakeshore, a direct feed into the powerful wellsprings of Arcadia. And you are a person standing in front of me with a pistol. How do you think this ends? Do you still have a heart? Susan, of course I have a heart. I just hope you don't think of me as heartless after what I've said to you today. Actions speak louder than words, I shoot her. Okay, roll to unleash an attack. Yeah! I am nervous about that. Oh, me too. I think this is going to go really badly. It's a nine. Mm-hmm. What are the things you want to happen? I don't know, because I just think she'll be able to like reverse whatever I do. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, I will, I will choose to inflict terrible harm on her and immediately duck behind the chair. <laughs> okay. What are you, are you just going to shoot her point blank? Yeah, I, I asked her if she still had a heart, and I aim for it. Okay. Susan, you draw your gun and fire a bullet at the mayor of the city that you live in. Um, so your, your tax audit's going to be so fucked, <laughs> you don't even know. And the bullet uh, burrows into her breast and sends her flying back with the force of the terrible harm that you've inflicted. She slams against the crystalline wall of the tower. And Susan, you watch as behind her, the crystals ripple and surge over her body. You see her hand at first shaking, but then firm, reach in to her chest, pull the bullet out and tuck it into her blazer pocket. 
Her eyes are glowing brighter than you've seen them. And uh, are you uh, is are you inflicting harm or being put in a bad spot? Or being inflicted harm upon you? Which thing? <laughs> you know, of the things. I'll take the harm. Okay. Yeah, you will. She floats to the floor with unearthly grace, and she steps over to where you've ducked behind a chair for cover. And you, as you spring up again, hoping to get a second shot in, she raises a hand that is clutching a fistful of uh, crystals ripped off of the wall. And as she opens her hand, they fly towards you and rake you across the face, dealing, uh, I guess, just one harm for the old crystal laceration. You stagger backwards, screaming. You see uh, Hazel turn and sprint for the open uh, doorway leading down the stairs. She says, I'll, I'll figure something out, and completely dips. The mayor has walked up to you to where you are crouched, wiping blood and picking shards of crystal out of your face. And she looks down, and she's frowning. She still has this sort of... Um, you find it intolerable, this magnanimous, like, mm, that wasn't very nice, dear, was it? She's so smug, and I think yeah. that's what rankles you most of all. She looks down with, like, a, a sincere frown, and she says, Susan, I really thought that we would end the day being friends. At this point, Susan Starling, as you stare up in terror at the mayor, framed in a halo of the crystal geode structure behind her, her eyes glaring down at you with unholy fury, um, you hear a loud crackling feedback sound that uh, sends the mayor staggering back. She claps her hands over her ears. You, it bothers you too, but not as much. Um, you stand up and you whirl around looking for the source. And then you hear two words, Susan, that you recognize the speaker of instantly. Susan, you hear the words, Say something. Nancy coming through. In Rex's office, Knox, you managed to stagger upright just in time to see Kitty murmur your name before face planting hard onto the broken glass shards of wood and demon blood that stain the floor all around you. What do you do? Uh, you are dude. Your class is man. I, I mean, what's 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 the state? Of, like she's just like bleeding out of her face. What is is this medically within my means? <laughs> Probably not. She was like staring at you and was helping you to your feet after your like soulening. And then as soon as you were kind of upright catching your breath, she uh, well, the radio broadcast happened and then she just immediately tanked. She crashed. Her five hour energy wore off. I'm just going to mm-hmm. I'm just going to see if she's OK. If nothing else, uh, not just leave her face first in what you made sound like a pile of glass. You prop Kitty up. She is uh, panting. She is mumbling under her breath. Her eyes are unfocused. She looks more delirious than you've ever seen her. And you've seen her pretty fucking delirious at times. Yeah, I start slapping her face and doing the wake up. Yeah, I mean, it's the classic. Do we need the sound effects? I can do them. Could you just slap your face a few times so we have that? Hey. Wake up. As you slap Katie's face in vain, you hear the crunch of broken glass in the doorway, and you look up to see a bloodied, ragged Philip Yanakis entering the room. He's holding a policeman's uniform shirt that he has just kind of like wadded up in a pile, and there's a bunch of shit on top of it, like gear. And he walks over to you, Knox, and he drops this big bundle of stuff on the table, and he says, 
Uh, what's wrong with her? What happened? Uh, I, I, have, I have no idea. She just collapsed just seconds ago. Did you kill everyone here? Was this you? Well, we killed everyone here, yes. So, uh, it's, it's done. <laughs> Not quite yet, but we're doing well, I hope. I don't know how the others are doing. I mean, you're free now, right? You're not, uh, uh... That doesn't matter right now. Your, your wife is, is dying. No, I'm, I'm well aware, of course. I'm just thinking. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Two eyes. Philippinakis. Two eyes in Philip. Two eyes on my face. That's how you can remember. I gotta say, I kind of imagine when you said he walked in, like, he has, like, the shirt, like, his shirt sleeves ripped off, and he's just, like just like ripplingly ripped now yeah, with like imagine. really long hair and he's like where is my wife <laughs> yeah he's rocky now he says well you'll need to get up to the tower to help the others right yes but i'm not i'm not sure what i yeah i'm not sure what i could really do now do you still have your peppermint i'm just a guy with a regular switchblade my would you say my peppermint yeah, the disguise yes. peppermint. Right. Y- yes. Here, he digs through the bundle of stuff and he pulls out um, a policeman's badge with like an ID photo. And he says, if you use this, you can get into the tower at least. I, uh, that's all I can really do for now. I should probably stay and help Kitty. Okay. I, I silently take it and uh, take my my peppermint and uh, off I go. You you pop a peppermint into your mouth, Knox, relishing the minty fresh flavor, and you stare down at this uh, ID photo of like a young cop with uh, red hair and a wispy mustache. And when you catch your reflection in a shard of broken glass leaning against the wall, you are not dressed like him, but you have taken on his appearance for uh, I believe it was just like a few minutes, and. With Philip's urging, you sprint out of the room and head presumably toward the tower. Kitty and Roman, sucks to suck, right? Sucks to suck. Well, Kitty's done this before. She's a pro now. What have I done before? Lost your abilities, I guess. I don't know if that's exactly what's happening. What's going on? You tell us, Jesse. I mean, it's almost as though you have what the French call too much abilities. All of your power is being accessed and used and not by you. It's like someone is on your back like a backpack and making you like run a marathon by manipulating your limbs. And all you can do is just be like winded and sweaty from this marathon while the other person gets all the um... glory. Yeah. So it sucks (laughs) in like the weird darkness of this like horrible magic scape in which you find yourselves. Uh, Both of you, with your eyes closed, can see pinpricks of white light floating around you, forming a a beautiful constellation across the inky backdrop of your consciousness. Maybe at one point, for a second, you can feel a glimpse of each other's point of light. Maybe something about it reminds you, Kitty, of your sister's quick temper, her decisiveness, her sense of humor. And maybe you, Roman, catch the sense of a a spark of energy that reminds you of Kitty's kindness and consideration and patience. Um, But after a moment, it's drowned out by radio static and feedback. And then you two hear the words, Say something. In the tower of the Lennox Spire, 
Susan, the mayor has staggered back a couple of feet and you hear a badly improvised radio play echo out across the city, across all of the remaining loudspeakers in the fairground and inside the PA system of this tower. You hear uh, the voice of Jim Stevens. Uh, this is um, station... This is our station. This is the Jim and... This is the first one. It's uh, the Jim and Nancy radio hour. Do you think this is working? I, I, I don't know. I, I can't hear the mayor's signal anymore, so m- maybe... Susan, the mayor screams, and uh, as you turn to meet her gaze, you can see that the white light of her eyes is pulsing. It's brightening and then dimming, almost so dim that you can catch a glimpse of the watery blue-gray eyes that Mayor Classic is known for. Um, But then just as quickly, they'll shoot back up with white light as though her connection to the network is constantly being increased and decreased. Nancy says, Uh, this this is a message to, uh, all of Lakeshore, uh, if you have a model LS-1000 radio, (laughs) um, it could be contaminated with chemicals, so at this point we instruct you to, to turn it off and take the battery out and throw it in the garbage, or don't, just turn it off. Jim says, yes, I'm a scientist. And I'm, yes, turn off the radio now. And you can see the white lights outside in the sky flicker and surge. What do you do? I think I want to shoot her again, but time it so that if, if, it's, if it's a regular pulsing. Yeah. She's pulsing on a regular frequency. I want to shoot her when the light is dim. Okay. Yeah. Uh, roll to unleash an attack once more. Big money, you know whimmies. Susan, you raise your pistol and you lunge forward in an attempt to uh, target the mayor when she's at her weakest. She's moving a lot now and some of the movement is like jerky and erratic. And also some of the movement is like very vertical. Like she's really kind of half flying around like a carnival target game target. And so uh, your shot goes fully wide and uh, the bullet smashes into a cluster of crystals that spray down onto the floor of the room. And even though it's like a giant tower and you've shot like a small section of the wall, when you shoot it, like the whole tower moves and you are tossed forward a couple of feet um, as this whole building seems to ricochet around you because everything the crystals do is to amplify whatever force is acted upon them, particularly magical ones, like the magical bullets in your gun. The mayor screams and she is going to uh, fly down at you and she is going to attempt to, um, sorry, super powerful goddess lady. She, uh, the crystals that have scattered on the floor start to (laughs) roll towards you and uh, unfortunately like the goo men of yore, um, molten crystal starts to cling to your boots and stick you to the floor of this room so you can't run around and cause her problems anymore. Kitty, <laughs> you you feel your vision start to restore a little bit and you feel uh, feeling start to return to the ends of your limbs. Not quite fully. You feel like you've been thrown in an icy lake and left there for an hour and fished out by a bored, disinterested, like, Russian salmon fisherman. 
<laughs> Classic. So specific. Duh, he says, pulling your <laughs> wrinkled body onto the shore. Um, no, instead it's Philip Yanakis, of course. Philip is leaning over you as uh, your vision focuses on him. He has a cut along one cheek that has dripped blood down one side of his face. As your eyes focus, he uh, embraces you fiercely and cradles your head against his. And he says, Kitty, for a second, I thought I'd lost you there. Can you speak? I think I'm okay. What do I know? Do I have any insight on what happened to me? Absolutely. I think I would ask you to roll to let it out because as someone who's like done a lot of magic, I think you could like get a lot of info on this for extending your senses supernatural. So that's a 12. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you, you extend your senses and try to perceive what the fuck is happening in the magical ambient infrastructure of Lakeshore. The mayor's control over the network has been weakened substantially, partially by the efforts of the wolves who have just started committing wholesale house by house, like burglary and assault, yeah. just like nutters, just like you can't do that to people, um, <laughs> like mortal people who are just at home. Why not? Very funny, I think. Partially because of that and partially because uh, somehow two humans have managed to access a radio tower and set it to the same frequency as the mayor's broadcast, which you would have to imagine is something the mayor did not anticipate happening even a little bit. Um, So her control over the city is up and down. And you feel it too. You almost feel like your body is is in sync with this signal. There are times when you're feeling a little more clear-headed and a little more in control of yourself and then there are times when like the magic spikes and your vision goes blurry, you stagger where you're standing and your body feels cold. The The rhythm of these broadcasting radio waves is dictating the rhythm of every magical being in Lakeshore. Worst period ever. True. So I think I'll tell Philip, but I don't know what to do with that information. Sh- should we bring you up to the tower? Is there anything you can do there? I don't know how we'll get you in. The tower itself is the radio signal, right? If we can break this signal, I think we'll be okay. Then then, then that's what we'll do, Kitty. We'll, we'll find a way. All right. I hold onto his arm for support. I'm like staggering every minute or so. Are we making our way to this tower? Um, where did Knox go? I was waiting for you to recover, so I sent him on ahead. Maybe he's slaughtered everyone at the... He probably can't do that anymore. Actually, let's cut to Nox slaughtering everyone at the door or whatever he intends to do. Nox, you make your way over to the tower, crossing the lawn of the fair. It's like kind of a weird vibe because many of the fair goers have uh, retreated to cower in fear beneath some of the pagodas. And the police have all swarmed largely the base of the tower uh, because that's where their boss is getting nasty. So there's no one like kind of in the fairground. You can move about pretty freely. You can, you know, try to use a peppermint to bluff your way into the tower. But like, what do you, what's up? Yeah, I'm here to get into the tower. I think I'm just going to try and run through. Uh, no, no bluff. I mean, it's a, it's a, like a state of crisis and I look like I belong. It's like I got my high vis vest on. Who's going to, who's going to say anything? Yeah. This magic peppermint is like the real high vis vest. Uh, I do think that one of the guards like at the door stops you for a second, but you're able to just flash your badge and you are clearly carrying a police ID badge that is yours. So it's hard to get um, much better than that. Inside the tower, as mentioned previously, there's like a nice lobby 
there's an elevator whose doors have been like mysteriously ripped open. Don't worry about it. And there are, of course, long time consuming stairs leading up as well. I don't think Knox is a very fit guy. Um, so uh, I, I, I'll, I'll take the sketchy elevators. And that's a great scene to, to paint too, you know, the like barely working elevator with the like really crappy elevator music and like, Maybe I'm like shifting away from this this disguise to myself into like ill-fitted clothes. It's a good. Yeah, very like uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos. If you like go into the elevator and the shot closes on you, the elevator door closing with you is one face and then opening at the top with you is like a second face. You step out and you see um, the corpse of a giant demonic bird, one that you, of course, recognize from the basement of the Drake Casino as well as one of Katie's BFFs. Um, it looks like it has been shot and strangled and fit for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, beyond that, there is a door that is ajar um, that looks like it leads into some sort of like technical corridors. Save me. I can't. But yeah, let's do it. Let's go not save Jillian. Knox, you step into this hallway and uh, as soon as you get your bearings, a door bursts open and out stumbles a very dizzy and confused looking Roman. So that's kind of nice. That's just Eli. That's just like normal me. <laughs> What's going on? I'm like panting like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm so tired. I don't. Get yourself together. Can I turn myself into something? I know that my, like, can I try to unleash myself into something? You can. I turn into an animal. Um... Have I done tiger yet? Like, that feels very classic, like. Can I get a little bit of flavor of that? Yeah, I think Knox comes out, or Roman stumbles out of this closet, and before they can really exchange any words, Roman, very disoriented, um, wants to shift to see if she can, but it's not polished uh, because she feels like she's, like, a toddler learning to walk all over again or something like that. I don't know. Um... And so you see her transform into a tiger. It's not smooth like she often is when she transforms. It's like one limb at a time. Um, It's like, usually it's like kind of magical and exciting and graceful to see, but this is like, even though she's just turning into a tiger, it feels grotesque. Um, And then like circles around you, you know, as tigers do. Kind of to say like, let's go. Hazel bursts through the door at the bottom of the stairs and stops in her tracks when she sees a tiger circling Knox. She looks over at you, Knox, and she says, That's Roman, right? Not a demon, Roman? Shake a paw? I like, I go like, <laughs> I give her a paw. I'm glad you're feeling better, babe. <laughs> Knox, are you yourself? Yeah. In this situation, for better or for worse. She breaks into a smile. She can't help herself. And then she says, it's pretty bad up there. Uh, not kidding. I don't know what to do. I can't I can't shift anymore. Neither can you. Even if we could, she's omnipotent. I don't know. She's too much. I don't know what to do. We have to figure something out before we just go up there and get killed. Bo, you, you can do magic stuff. I can't talk, though, anymore. I just go, <laughs> rah. Uh, well, here we are, Hazel. Um, where's Kitty? 
Giddy's pretty powerful, right? And she's able to uh, touch things and, and sort of work her magic on them, on, on objects. If we could bring her up here, maybe there's something she could do. If there's a control room somewhere, I mean. Nox turns to Roman. And I said, I need you to go find your sister and and you're, you can move the fastest out of any of us right now and she'll know that it's you. Always, I mean, but it's fine. Uh, and frankly, you're more intimidating than either of us right now. So I think that this is the most important job anyone's ever Shut had. Shut up! Oh my god, I don't need that important job bullshit. Where is she? I can't talk. You can tell me where she is. I go to the observation deck and I point out, looking out, uh, where where I think that she is and will be coming with, with Philip. Because again, I presume that they're in transit, I hope. You could maybe even like see like, you know, two of them like slowly marching across the open ground of the fair because like Kitty is leaning against Philip. And you can see, Roman, that they're making their way towards a cluster of like at least a dozen uh, police who are swarming the base of the tower. Okay, it's gonna be a wild ride, but here we go. Uh, Tiger Roman, like, <laughs> sprints out, I guess. Roman, you turn, and I'm assuming you're taking the stairs, because I don't think tigers can use elevators. Bailey School <laughs> Kids book number 311. I mean, you're a fucking tiger also, so you, like, with rapturous you know, bloodlust and joy bound down the huge cement staircase of Lennox Spire. Uh, Every, you know, 30 to 40 seconds, you can feel that pulse of the magic surging through the mayor and it causes your, your balance to slip, your paws to momentarily flash into fingers and maybe once or twice you bash yourself against a couple of the landings on your way down. It's not quite as uh, beautiful as you want it to be, um, but it'll make do. And you make it to the bottom of the stairs and the open lobby of Lennox Spire. You can see Philip and Kitty in the distance uh, separated by a sea of uniformed policemen that are nervously checking in with each other and uh, a couple are uh, reporting back from like the burned out husks of police cars opposite. Like the idea is literally like run out there, bite her, grab her onto my back kind of thing, like get on and then run in. Okay. And also presumably Kitty could like, I don't know, skim the surface of a tiger and be like, this is my sister or some, something like that to, in- to realize that it's me. You well, so so what? I'm, so it seems like the major obstacle here. The major obstacle here would be to get the the cops out of the way, so you can get in and out. Um, and I think if you wanted to roll to like let it out, that could be like one of the options there is to frighten, intimidate, or impress your opposition. I will say my intention is not to fight anybody. It is like I'm a tiger, so that I can be really fast and just like zip out of there. It's a nine, so that plus two actually didn't do anything. <laughs> Yeah, Roman, you leap out of the, like, open doors of Lennox Spire, and with a mighty roar, you send, like, a dozen cops scattering to the four winds, because you're right, no one expected for there to be a giant fucking Bengal tiger uh, tucked away in the in the attics of Lennox Spire, and you leap out, um, these policemen all scatter, and it's, like, at least, you know, half a minute before any of them have finished, you know, drying the piss out of their jeans. <laughs> and poking back up over whatever they hid behind to even try to train a gun on you, at which point you've already leapt forward uh, dozens of feet to meet uh, Kitty, who is slowly staggering along the fairground, her eyes shut in concentration, her teeth clenched, Philip by her side. Uh, as the tiger alights in front of them, Kitty, I assume you you put this one together. I don't yeah, think. <laughs> I, I don't want to deal with me being like, who's this tiger? 
Katie, you you awkwardly, maybe you've taken like a single horseback riding lesson in your privileged youth, um, maybe, mount this tiger and uh, the Roman Tiger Express lunges back into the entrance of the Lennox Spire. As Garfield, a tale of two kitties, no. bounds up the stairs towards, I'm not apologizing, that's fucking good. No. Um, <laughs> Bounds up the stairway, occasionally doubled over by psychic migraines. Knox, Hazel is pulling you by the hand towards the end of the hallway. There's an open door there. She says, we saw her come out of here earlier. This is where she did the broadcast. She pulls you into this uh, small, narrow room. That one wall is just floor to ceiling, uh, laden with like built-in radio equipment. I have to assume, Knox, that you don't know much about radio technology, Unless it was on your character sheet the whole time, you just weren't telling me. Well, I'm a bit of a purist. I really think that people should still go to live venues. So the idea <laughs> of radio coming out and 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 really taking away from the experience of sitting in a venue and feeling the atmosphere uh, is really something that I think that is a tragic, tragic, tragic misstep for for all uh, artistic humanity. Uh, okay, you <laughs> you think these anti-radio thoughts as you enter this room. Hazel sits down at the console and just tries to get her bearings and figure out exactly what she's looking at. Knox, you hear a, a weird sort of um, plunking, like, tinkle in the corner of the room, like someone has dropped a, an earring or something like that. You scan up and you can see that there is a uh, ventilation shaft in the corner of the room and dripping out through the gap in the slats are tiny, perfectly formed white crystals that are hitting the floor and tinkling against the metal. Uh, Hazel, what do you make of this? She, I mean, she's she's using crystals, right? Is she growing crystals? Should we open that? I don't want to open it. Maybe we should open it. Yeah, I think that we should see the source. She pulls over a table and steadies you as you climb up and with man strength, not like in a gender way, in like a non-demon way, with human strength (laughs) of no gender, you uh, yank slowly and painfully the cover off this ventilation shaft. And you can see the inside of it, like the room above, is lined with, uh, you know, beautiful formed sharp white crystals. And uh, through this ventilation shaft, you can definitely hear the sounds of... uh, Susan and presumably the mayor having a conversation, uh, maybe only a few feet away. Canonically in this world, is it like movie ventilation shaft rules or real life ventilation shaft rules? It's always movie, baby. Okay, so I can go in and it wouldn't be like... It, it would be silent, like in like in Die Hard. Yeah. Well, what, well before I do any of that, I, I ask, like, what do, you, what do you think we should do to Hazel? Christ's sake, Knox, I don't know. I mean, hopefully Roman and Kitty are back soon, but I'm worried about Susan. She's just up there by herself. Yeah, me too. Um, I get in the vent. You climb up into the vent, pull yourself awkwardly into the shaft. The You, like, pull your sleeves and ball them onto your fists because walking and crawling with your bare hands on the sharp crystalline floors of this uh, air vent sucks and you start crawling your way towards the sound of voices. Maybe a few moments later, Kitty, I feel like you've got a lot. You've got a lot. Talk to me, Kitty. I have two ideas. I don't know if I want to do both of them. Uh, Idea one is, could I let it out with the, since I have 
we have like an established connection with the mayor, literally. Can I feasibly let it out to skim the surface? Because she's in my brain. The second idea, because Roman and I have an established connection with the mayor right now, to like siphon the powers back, like out of her. Like a walkie-talkie, radios work both ways, right? Send it back the other way, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can we like do a little reverse? I think that the kitty like siphoning energy, letting it out, take all of the corruption ever is a very like cinematic uh, way to approach that of like, yeah, I think they're both good. I, I agree with Jordan that I think the second one has like a lot of cool, like visual uh, options as well and kind of makes sense with like the, the theme of the radio. I would like that to be a thing I do with Roman because I think that's better. I would like that too. Kitty on tiger back you uh land on the observation deck climbing with roman's tiger claws over the bird corpse and making your way into this service corridor roman i assume at this point you would i mean you could stay tiger it's like a little cramped it's up to you tiger i'm staying tiger for now you make your way to the end of the hallway where uh you see in the like flickering fluorescent light Hazel uh, frantically flipping switches and trying to operate this uh, huge array of radio machinery. When the two of you arrive, Hazel stands up and Kitty, maybe to your surprise a little bit, she rushes over and she hugs you um, and you can tell that she's like shivering. She's more frightened than she's ever been in her whole life. And she uh, pulls back and she looks at you with teary eyes and she says, tell me you have a plan. The mayor has done something with the radio to um, take our power. There must be a way to use that against her. I'd like to use that against her. I figured out how to open the main channel so you can broadcast. Okay. Okay, that's a start. Um, Show me. Uh, She pulls you over to this console and she shows you how when she flicks a switch, you hear a uh, buzzing that is coming out of a pair of earphones that is plugged into the console. And she says, I had them on earlier, but they made crazy feedback. It uh, was awful. So I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's open. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Um, hi, my name is Kitty. I am a magic user in the city of Lakeshore. Like many of you, I just felt I just felt the mayor try and use my magic without my permission. I think all of you who are listening to the radio right now, if if all of you could please um, look at the battery in the radio, it enhances your power. And the mayor is taking that power and using it for herself. We can use it backwards, we can reverse it. Please, on the count of three, one, Two, three. Roll to let it out. Roman, you can roll too. Yeah, is this like a sisters holding hands thing? Uh, Yeah, sisters holding hands or sisters holding paws. Nine. Eight. In the control room of Lennox Spire in the radio broadcast office, Kitty Yanakis, with uh, trembling hands, you grip the big old-timey microphone and 
send out your heartfelt plea to the citizens of the town to help you channel power to spirit bomb the mayor for once and for all. Um, Roman, you feel another lurching pulse as the power spikes and you uh, grab onto your sister's shoulder for support and you try to grab any amount of power you can and channel it into her to give her the ability to fight this fight and do what she needs to do. Upstairs, Susan, uh, you see the lightning that occasionally flickers between the crystals of the roof and the walls suddenly uh, spike and thousands, hundreds of darts of little white light are cascading across every single, from every vertex of every crystal in all directions, forming this impossibly beautiful and horrifying lattice of magical energy as the mayor steps back down onto the floor, having reset the geode to her preference. She walks over to you and once again her eyes are blazing with white fire. As she is making her way over to you, uh, leisurely, you hear a scraping sound behind you, and you turn and see a shock of white undercut flop up from the floor of the corner of this room. Uh, and then you see Nox's face emerge. You have about a second to communicate to him before the mayor enters line of sight for both of you. I think I, think I just, just give you one of these, which is a finger over my lips, like, don't make a fucking sound, she's coming. Uh, okay, I just like slightly dip my head uh, far enough down that I can like kind of still see. Susan, you feel uh, an invisible force grab you by the scruff of your jacket and lift you up and pull you to talk with the mayor. The disrespect. She's very yeah, rude. <laughs> she doesn't give a fuck anymore. I know. Uh, she gave you the nice way and you said, no, thank you, ma'am. Well, Susan, it's time for you to decide once and for all. It's delightfully ironic how you've chosen me as this uh, ideal of a person who could work with you. Why is it ironic? Because I have worked so hard to take you down. I'm just a person here in front of you. And yet my power extends so much farther than you could possibly believe. I think you'll find, Miss Starling, that it is I who hold the power in this arena. The invisible force flings you across the room into the far corner, and you take two harm as uh, jagged crystals stab into your back <gasps> inside. I shoot at her. I pop out of the vents. I shoot. Can you roll to unleash an attack, Nox? Sure. Uh, what good will that do? Well, you shot well, at let her. Let know if you hit her. Well, I don't know how much that'll matter either way. I'm on a 10. So sorry, she's like crushing crystals? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to try and, you know, like get a, just from the velocity of, of, a, of, a, of a bullet to like maybe knock them to the ground, anything, you know, like knock them out of her hand, essentially. Uh, well, on a 10 plus, I think that's fair. I'm probably like, probably lay, laying prone and it's blap, blap. And I, I, I just pop a couple, couple shots. You 
manage luckily to uh, nail her in the back of her right hand and she hisses and uh, shards of crystal are expelled from her grip. And instead of falling to the floor, they float in the air, totally still. The mayor whirls around, her eyes a vortex of white fire as she bears down on you, when suddenly the crystals floating in the air just behind her head start to flash. And then in unison, the crystals at random in the geode around start to flicker and flash one by one, like Winona Ryder brand Christmas lights. As the mayor floats down to the ground, gazes around and at the crystals floating behind her, Suddenly, you can see an image taking form. In each facet of every crystal in this geode is reflected the face of Kitty Yanakis. Yeah, um, every single crystal now bears multiple images, some distorted of Kitty's face, uh, with uh, huge pleading eyes. Uh, trembling, gazing down into nothingness and calling on all of the magic users of Lakeshore to help channel energy away from the mayor. Outside, you can see the white lightning that arcs in the sky start to pick up in intensity and then suddenly dissipate completely. Um, Crystals start loosing themselves from the ceiling and the walls and shattering into even more dozens hundreds, thousands, millions of images of Kitty as she speaks her message of, of um, desperation and hope out into Lakeshore. You can hear her words trickling up from the vent, blasting from the PA speakers, and as uh, it becomes so loud, it captures itself on the mic down in the radio office below and creates a feedback loop, a high, eerie pitch that swells and swells, and Kitty roils backwards in the chair in the radio office, ripping the headphones out of their plug in the console, and the sound just floods through the entire building, screeching, incessant. The mayor screams as crystals rain down on her, and suddenly you can see the light that was once pouring from her eyes fade as she hits the ground hard, as crystals plummet into her. First, it seems like an accident of seismic activity, but then with growing horror, the two of you stand up looking for each other and watch as these crystals fly out, aim at the mayor and plunge themselves into her body. Each of the magic users of Lakeshore, the downtrodden werewolves of the docks, the capricious fae of Fairside, all of them empowering Kitty and empowering Roman to wrest control away from the mayor. And with the hundreds of crystals around the surface of every wall and ceiling of the room, it isn't long before Mayor Evelyn Graham resembles a piece of modern art lying on the floor, covered in uh, gasping, crying, screaming visions of Kitty. I try to help Susan. You you grab Susan, pick her up to her feet. She uh, looks like she's been Captain Crunched pretty hard um, by all of these crystals slamming into her. And as you uh, attempt to pick her up, there's a huge metal groan as the uh, room that you're in starts to shake and sag crystals have smashed into every surface the weight has become severely imbalanced and uh you can hear the sounds of greater chunks of crystal and rock breaking off at various parts and falling to the floor what do you do let's go let's go let's go okay we go can you walk okay oh yeah i have four harm 
you know, <laughs> not the first time. She just want to chuck her out the vent like she's <laughs> the Grinch <laughs> coming down yeah. from Mount Crumpet. All right, I'll do my best to help her get out of there as fast as we can. I think the door is still magically shut, so I think you do Fuck. like hop down, knocks, and then you lower Susan's, uh, uh, you know, losing consciousness body, I suppose, out of the vent into this now incredibly cramped radio room. Hazel is ready, waiting to support you and set you down on the floor. Roman and Kitty are staggering to their feet after channeling the magic of Lakeshore through all of the crystals in the room above. And you blink back tears as you get to your feet and watch Knox and Hazel bring Susan down into this room. She's looked better. Actually, not much. She's always so damn hurt. (laughs) It's okay. I guess I somehow became the tank. I love it. I truly love it. Yeah, you can you can feel the floor shattering beneath your feet. Mm-hmm. I'm probably holding Roman's shoulder for support. Okay, you you hustle your bruised and battered party into the elevator, slam the first floor button, and uh, as the elevator slowly descends, as like just the PA is like crackling and static is breaking through, but you could swear in like the background deepest layer of it, you can hear the mayor screaming, but you saw her go down, but it's just her ghostly voice, like haunting everything within like a huge radius. And you sprint out of Lennox Spire and into the fairground. It has been completely evacuated now. You can see that there are ambulances and large cars uh, gathered, buses trying to take people away from the fairground as quickly as possible. No one knows what's happening. Outside in the fairground, uh, alone staring up at this tower with no other options but refusing to leave is Philippinakis. God bless. He's like the dog we left outside. Oh, no, I know. Let's go, boy. (laughs) And that dog stayed there in that rubble for nine days. I'm going to stumble over to Philip and say, I think, I think it worked. You you did it, Kitty. Yes, you've done it. We, We need to get out. We need to go. And he, uh, he actually, I think, with like a burst of like late game adrenaline, actually like can fully pick you up. Aww. Nice. And you make your way across the fairground to where crowds of people are gathered, watching breathlessly, waiting to see what's going to happen to Lennox Spire. You can see that the topmost spire, where the actual radio antenna is, has uh, begun to like writhe and turn in on itself, like it's become some organic uh, appendage, like a tongue or something disgusting. And then it too snaps, goes rigid, and falls from the tower. Chunks of the exterior, bits of glass from the window are flying out. You can see from almost all of it, from every window, what look like uh, crystals shooting out, like it's coughing up, like it's the, the, yeah, like the body of some beast dredging up all of the poison inside of it. Um, And then finally, the sound, the massive final groan that ache as this tower begins to cry out in pain from all of its struts and rivets, and then slowly, finally collapse in on itself, raising a massive cloud of dust that blots out the vision of almost the entire fairground. The six of you lean against an electrical truck, coughing, trying to shelter yourself from this huge plume of dust that shoots out as the citizens of your city scream and run for cover. Uh, And eventually, after a few seconds, all is still, all is quiet. You can still hear the crackle of the loudspeaker from the pole closest to you on the fairground. And then you hear one last voice 
coming through on the radio. It's Jim Stevens. He says, I think that does it. Smooth jazz plays underneath my great expository dialogue as we open at the last hurrah. Susan, let's start, because we kind of know where Knox and Roman are going to be. I want to start with you. Are, are there still, like, demons terrorizing Fairside? I think that because the tower has been destroyed and the mayor has been foiled, they've gone down to what you would sort of call like pre-campaign levels, where it was something that like concerned you and was like part of your job, but didn't completely prevent you from like pursuing drug dealing opportunities and like other social relationships. But they haven't been eradicated, no. So, I mean, as much as Susan knows and understands that you can't like run away from your demon problems, um, I don't know that she would stay in Lakeshore. So I think um, she would intend to bring like Joan and Nancy to the show and then properly and hopefully with them accepting this time, uh, resign. With Nancy, there's, I, I have to think that as soon as the deed was done. I mean, she's a very emotionally driven person. She takes what everyone's trying to do very seriously. So that doesn't necessarily mean that she ever forgot like what she saw happen to Joan. But um, you've done a lot of things I don't like or respect. You've done a lot of things I respect the hell out of. People are complicated. I think that you are a capable leader for the most part. And like, I'm willing to work with you. Like, I think it would be a disservice to the city and to like, our own capabilities as people if we acted like this would, you know, make working together impossible. Like the work is too important. Mm -hmm. Joan, on the other hand, of course, um, eventually made a solid recovery, um, realized that she was only young once and um, moved out from her parents and uh, found an apartment with Betty uh, or Liz, as she is kind of known across the board now. Um, and her only regret is like missing everything that happened on the day and like what she could have done and how much she could have helped. But she knows that she was part of the steps that led up to it. And, um, she'll be right behind you for the next one. Um, have you told them you're leaving or is this like a surprise, interesting drama conversation? Oh, no, of course I haven't told them. (laughs) So, um, you've taken them to the last hurrah. I think it might be the first time the girls have been here. Um, and they're excited to see Knox's show and you've told them that you have some big news. What a year. You said it. <laughs> so, so hard to describe everything. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been uh, the longest year of my life. Maybe the hardest year of my life. Feels nice to be able to wrap it up, you know? Joan uh, clinks your glass with hers and she says, I think you've either had too much or not enough. Wrap what up? My time here? I I think I've taught you all I can. I think I've given everything I could to this city. And I take the gun out of its holster and I slide it over the table towards Joan. I think it's just a souped up holy gun with crystals. Mm-hmm. And now it's like extra pretty. You know when they do like pearl inlay in wood? Indeed. She gingerly picks it up and she says... You're not saying what I think you're saying. I'm afraid I am. Several months ago, I 
attempted to resign and you talked me out of it. But this time there's nothing you can say that will change my mind. The Naturalist Society is yours. Joan seems completely shocked, but Nancy uh, nods in understanding. She says, do you have any plaith in mind? No, not yet. Just going to uh, hit the road and see what's out there. You can always stop by again. We'll save a space for you. Thanks. I think, uh, I think it'd be nice to have a drink with old friends. Joan uh, has tears swelling up in her eyes as she's clutching this gun. And she uh, turns and uh, buries her head in Nancy's shoulder for a second. And then she takes a deep breath and turns back to you and she says, I'm not going to let you down. You, you never could. She smiles weakly and drinks a huge drink from her glass of beer. The door opens to the last hurrah and Kitty Yanakis steps in, now with a new hat. What's Kitty's uh, year been like? One of, one of the big questions for Kitty is like one of the big questions for the campaign, which is like you publicly identified yourself on the radio as a magic user. And then like a minute later, the biggest building in the city collapsed magically. So there are questions as to like, did the power faction sweep in and erase the memories of every non-magical user in the cities that no one knows, but Kitty's like a hero among magic users? Do Does everyone know what magic is now? And there's suddenly like an increase of like magic being learned and shared throughout the city. Like that's like a big, that's a big cue, which Jordan doesn't have to answer herself, but I think it's one that's very tied to what Kitty did that day. I'm on team option two for that. I know I said this a million times in the Discord as a joke, but I do want to start an art gallery with Roman. That is just something I want to do. I love that. I'm so into it. Sure. What I think makes sense and I think works with Kitty's character is to kind of turn it into a little bit of a mouthpiece and a spokesperson for magic users, taking it upon herself to be like, we're not scary. Look, I am so soft-spoken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like kind of a bit of a diplomat. There's a real word for what I'm saying. <laughs> An ambassador? Ambassador, yes. Kitty has a, a historic, like almost a celebrity status. Um, as much as the others, you know, probably deliberately want to downplay their like public role and what happened. You were the most important radio broadcast in the history of Lakeshore. People refer to you as like the voice of Lakeshore. Um which maybe you feel embarrassed about, maybe you feel good about. It's complicated, but it's happening. I think that working in like a some form of like public relations is a good way for you and Philip to work together on like more equal footing. He is a great like politician. He's a great administrator. You have uh, a ton of experience with magic and a real um, charisma that you can use to get through to people. And so I think you definitely have like the status and maybe in some ways what Kitty always wanted, this like power couple of the city status, um, but in like a very like, inverted wonderlandy flavor that you maybe never could have anticipated yeah like at the beginning of the campaign her position was very much like oh the woman behind the man and that has evened out in a nice way um so what is it like i when you enter the last hurrah i mean what what has your day been like what's this average day look like for kitty and she probably has 
maybe a few radio interviews. She like has events to go to. She has people who she has to argue with or like go on the radio and CNN style debate some naysayer. And she goes to like a ribbon cutting ceremony for whatever is now in the hole that was once Lennox Spire or whatever. So like a day for her is very eventy and smiling for the cameras and trying to educate on what it is to be a magic user. And we're not so scary. Mm-hmm. So you breeze into the last hurrah, um, you know, still high energy, but a little worn after a full day of work. And you cross over to your usual booth, the one next to Susan's, where you have a nice view of the stage and where Philip is uh, saving your spot, having screwed out from work a little bit early to get here. He is chatting with um, the ghost of a priest whose uh, body has just been clawed and chewed up all to fuck, um, but who still has like a winning smile and a beautiful uh, cropped beard and intense eyebrows. I'm glad he turned out okay. The priest ghost floats away and phases out as Kitty, you sidle up next to Philip in the booth. And he says, uh, a big day at work today, dear? It was okay. It was okay. Just, I could use a drink. Vodka soda on the way. Perfect. Uh, Instead of just sending a waitress over, Charlie brings you your drink herself. And she says, uh, one vodka soda for our esteemed patron. How you doing, kid? I smile bashfully. I say, I'm doing good. How's business? It was a tough sell for the regulars at first to start letting fleshies play music here. But, um, and we don't like to use certain words, but we say, uh, um, present music as opposed to live music so it's not to upset anyone um you know musicians that are present here really they have a sound that you just can't beat and we got a big show tonight yeah i haven't heard them play since uh have i ever heard them play no (laughs) roman where do you see yourself in this scenario uh roman is definitely one to shy away from the limelight and is more than happy to let kitty be like the face that did all the things the face um, that broke a thousand radios. But <laughs> but I definitely do. I do want to be I do want to stay behind the camera in both senses of that. We we open that gallery together um, and maybe Roman gets to be like an artist in residence. Um, and I think they have a much better sistership now obviously yeah we talk sometimes (laughs) I I think it's more than sometimes um I think I definitely think that Roman has like learned to see her sister as um uh, it feels bad to say like as equal but like she always like revered her sister in this other way but like now it's like I can trust you as a partner I don't have to worry about you. Uh, You are obviously more than capable as a person. Um, So I think that that sense of belonging that she was always looking for is kind of found in like, like Kitty and kind of her brother-in-law and this like kind of flirting thing that she has going on uh, with Charlie. I don't think I really want that to be like, anything I don't I don't think I want anything to have happened with that yet not only because I think that Roman takes things very slowly but also I think I like the idea of like 
you know, Rowan started out this campaign with so much potential and uncertainty in who she is. And to be honest, I feel like a lot of that uncertainty is kind of still there, but she's she's confident in it and she's comfortable with it. And she likes all of the potential places that she can be. And so she stays in Fairside and she gets better at photography and she owes Jim Stevens a whole lot. Yeah, I wonder if some kind of uh, ending sentiment for Roman's arc is that like she maybe has the opportunity to determine that like she doesn't necessarily have to choose like one thing that she has mm-hmm. to be presenting as all the time and she can be a photographer right. and she can be a fae and she can be a good sister and she can be like flirtatious with a bartender like all of those are are not mutually exclusive like maybe you thought or worried they once might have been yeah exactly I think she's a lot more confident like not putting names to things and categorizing things and and like this idea of belonging like if I may I feel like a lot of my journey in tallow was also a little bit about belonging and then she like achieved that um and this is more like dissolving that concept in Roman's mind. Very cool. Um, are you entering the bar now? Or are you like already there? Are you sitting at the booth? How do you, are you taking shots of the band? Um, yeah, I think I hang out here a whole lot. Um, maybe I like help out Charlie for funsies sometimes too. So I've been here for a while and I'm taking shots with the band. Yeah. I'm Band's not shots. drinking before the show. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> I'm taking shots with Jackson. Like shots. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. <gasps> sorry. That's okay. We can do that. Is there going to be some ghosts when they get developed? I'm taking shots orbs. and shots. <laughs> There's orbs in every picture. Yeah. The orbs. <laughs> I want to say like Jackson Jackson, now I in the final episode, I'm differentiating them. Jackson and I always sneak a drink together before the show. Nat, so not into it. Mm-mm. Jackson claims it takes the edge off. Yeah. In the backstage of the last hurrah, which is uh, like two cubic feet of floor. Um, basically, there's just like a small partition wall built in front of where the stairs are. And that has become like the wing slash backstage, which is something that ghosts primarily don't need. Um, the uh, members of Knox and the Tainteds. I think that would be Hazel and the Cellar Doors then because Knox never really wa- he wanted to be noticed for like musicianship and Hazel seemed to be longing for the like celebrity that she had once had. So that seems fitting. Hazel and the Cellar Doors are hanging out backstage at the last hurrah ready to go on. Uh, Charlie floats up through the partition wall and says, uh, two minutes, guys. And Hazel turns and smiles brightly and says, yep, that sounds great. She turns back to the three of you and she says, um, Knox, me and Nat and Jackson were talking and we just decided, uh, I know you don't want to make a big fuss or whatever, but uh, seeing as it's a very special day and all. And she bursts out laughing as she, Nat and Jackson whip out uh, identical little gift boxes from behind their backs and like shove them in your faces. Guys, we're on and... Less than two minutes. Open them uh, quickly. Wait. I, Come on, hurry up. All right, okay, okay, okay. I pull out my pocket knife for the first time in the entire campaign, I believe. Maybe one other time. I've had it forever, and I open them up. Uh, each box contains a different colored bolo tie. Nice. Uh, sure, I'll play favorites. I put the one that Hazel gave me on. She gives you a wink as you take it, and she tosses the gift boxes aside, and she helps uh, adjust it and pulls it up to your collar. 
And she says, that looks a lot better. Are you ready? I I say, hey, whoa, 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 hey, guys, hang on, no, hang on. And I, I give Hazel the one I was wearing and give Matt and Jackson the other two. I guess we walked right into this, but this is not going to be a band gimmick, okay? No, we'll see. We'll see how tonight goes. Might be a ritual of sorts. She's wearing a long sleeve dress with like a, a boat neck collar and she like awkwardly just adjusts the bow tie around her bare neck and she's like, I look fucking stupid. Let's go. <laughs> and, uh, the four of you march onto the stage. There is a grand piano bathed in like a gentle blue spotlight. There is a space for the bass, the drums. I think the fourth one was just guitar. And um, you begin to play. It took a while. It took some weeks of rehearsing and hashing out. I think um, Nat and Jackson were a little bit uh, shocked when you brought a new member of the band to meet them. They they considered it pretty sacrosanct, but um, eventually I think they sorted their differences out in the intervening months. Hazel progressed rapidly as a piano player. Even if she never properly learned how to do it, it was still something that her body did for like years. So there's something to be said for muscle memory. And um, even though she's not a trained singer, her voice was never bad. So she, she's made herself pretty capable. And you, Knox, you uh, have soul again. You can put that into your music in a way that you never could. And I think um, Nat and Jackson were shocked the first time all four of you got together and four like real flesh and blood humans with dreams and hope and desire and guilt and fear and shame and love all tried to actually make art and music together in a way that had never actually happened before. It was kind of magnetic. And ever since then, Hazel has been an accepted part of the group. And you've been booking a lot of gigs because she uh, she commands attention when she walks into a room. And out in the audience, as you play, occasionally you glance up to see how the show is being received. You catch a cheery wave from Charlie over at the bar. She's leaning on the bar top and talking to Roman, who is leaning back on her stool, trying to get the perfect angle as she snaps a few shots of you. Your glance passes over to Kitty and Philip, who are cuddling together in a dimly lit booth with a couple of candles on the table. You see him squeeze her hand and she closes her eyes in contentment and leans her head against his shoulder. Susan and two of the people from the Natural Society, whose names you don't remember, are camped in the other booth. Um, one of them seems to be kind of like emotionally uh, upset and has like four empty beers next to her. But when Susan makes eye contact with you, she shoots you a crafty grin of one sort of um, independent kind of trickster to another. And she uh, gives a small wave and she gets up and starts making her way out of the bar as you guys finish your set. And finally, as you play through the last solo, as Hazel belts her final note, um, the lights flash once, everything goes dark, and the room bursts into applause. That's Lakeshore. Thank you to everyone who listened to our story of four screwed up people trying to keep their city safe. It's been my pleasure and honor to run this campaign, and I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll have a little post-mortem treat for the off Tuesday. And then after that, who knows? Not me, who is recording this before the schedule has been decided. Thanks. Bye.